In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the last Sunday after Trinity, Christ the King Sunday, the end of the church calendar year. The new church year begins next Sunday on the first Sunday of Advent. So we are concluding now the course that we have run through the Gospel of Luke. We've been reading through that Gospel uh, for these many months, and now we're at the end. And what a place to end, with Jesus upon the cross, uh, with the King of the Jews above him. This is a a powerful place, and a powerful uh, place to stand and to declare that Christ has fulfilled his threefold ministry. Christ had three ministries to fulfill. He is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. He is prophet and he prophesied the ways of God and the coming of the kingdom of God. He foretold many things and they were fulfilled. He is the priest. He offers the paschal sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Passover. And he himself is the lamb that is slain and offers himself as that sacrifice. He fulfills that again here on the cross. And then finally he is king and he has declared that his kingdom has been established and that it shall not end. The two kingdoms that get juxtaposed or uh, compared are the kingdom of God that Jesus has been proclaiming all the way through Luke's gospel and the kingdoms of this world, usually referred to uh, plural, kingdoms of this world. And if you'll remember, uh, it's the kingdoms of this world that Satan entices Jesus with. This is one of the temptations that we read all the way back in Luke chapter 4. I'll offer you the kingdoms of this world. And you'll remember that Satan uses the same phrase that the rulers do when he's on the cross. If. Right? If you are the son of God, Satan says. If you are the Messiah, the rulers say. So they start with this if. They're trying to destroy Jesus' faith. They're trying to destroy his understanding of himself. They're drawing his purpose. They're drawing that ministry into question. And more than that, because Jesus can't be moved, they're questioning their own understanding of who God is. And we see so many people fall into that same trap in their prayer and in their relationship with God. They'll say, if you're God, if you're there, you'll do this. If you're listening to my prayer, you'll do that. And so people end up breaking their own faith and destroying their own relationship with God by saying, if you are what I want you to be, then I'll believe. If you are the leader of the kingdoms of this world, if you will give me power, if you'll give me fame, if you'll give me strength, if you'll give me money, if you'll give me all these things, then I will follow you. And so this, this if you will do what I want you to do narrative of the kingdoms of this world is uh, begun with Satan and the wilderness and continues until uh, Jesus is upon the cross. The kingdoms of this world, as is evidenced by Satan and what it is that he offers Jesus, offer arrogance and pride to put oneself above another and to say that power is what we're after, that fame is what we're after, that money and greed is what we're after, and that these are the things that, uh, that destroy and uh, that uh, bear uh, the soul down into hell is what we see uh, when they're followed through to their very end. So we have the two kingdoms here that are juxtaposed, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. The next thing that we see uh, in this enticement is uh, that he's called king of the Jews. 
And uh, again, while uh, those that say, if you are the Messiah, mean to tear down Jesus and instead tear down themselves. So Pilate does the same thing when he uh, names Jesus King of the Jews. He's trying to mock Jesus. He's trying to tear him down. And instead, he mocks himself because Pilate gets it right. He is the King of the Jews. What he intended as mocking is actually the truth uh, that Jesus is the King. So again, in their uh, attempts to destroy him or to tear him down, they end up destroying their own faith and making a mockery of it. And then finally, we see the two criminals who are on the crosses on either side of Jesus, uh, who the fathers uh, commonly refer to as the good thief and the bad thief, right? The bad thief is the arrogant thief, right? The arrogant thief is the one who uh, maintains his arrogance. He maintains his position uh, and he uh, participates with the rulers. Uh, The bad thief, just like the rulers and just like Satan, continues this motif. If you are, right, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself and us. So he continues this line of Satan. If you are who you say you are, you'll do what I want you to do. It's a complete reversal. It's a complete mirror image of what the kingdom of God is. And he maintains his arrogance even though he's upon the cross. The good thief, on the other hand, uh, experiences humility in uh, in in his crucifixion. He experiences humility in his arrest. He experiences humility being near Christ. And he says, we're guilty. We're guilty which is essential for us to repent, right? For us to repent, to come into the kingdom of God, we've got to do what the the good thief does, to say, I deserve this. I deserve what's going on with me. And he doesn't ask to be excused. He doesn't ask even for mercy. He simply asks that Jesus remember him. That's all that he asks. And so the good thief begins an understanding of the kingdom of God and what it's about. The teaching of the kingdom of God, of course, comes uh, at the right uh, beginning of the scriptures. We understand it in Genesis. We see it again in Exodus. We see it all the way through the prophets. And we see it in Jeremiah here. Jeremiah is teaching about uh, the kingdom of God. And he's teaching about the shepherds of the sheep and the relationship that the shepherds have uh, to the people. And this uh, chapter in Jeremiah 23 uh, very much parallels Ezekiel 34, where we took the name for Jesus. Jesus the good shepherd, uh, woe to the shepherds. What was I thinking? <laughs> right? I brought this uh, when we first started Jesus the good shepherd, when we met about eight of us in my mother's living room and said, I think we should plant an Anglican church in Las Vegas. And uh, this is the scripture that I've been reading, Ezekiel 34. And everybody said, that's it. We've got to name the church Jesus the good shepherd. And after that conversation, I went away and I thought, oh my goodness, woe to the shepherds, Right? Who, what pastor wants to hear that? Woe to the shepherds, right? The warning is over and over again. Those shepherds that lead the sheep into what they want, into that, if you're God, then you'll do this mentality. If you're God, you'll do this for me. Uh, This kind of, uh, you're okay, everything you're doing is fine, don't worry about it. The building up of arrogance and and letting people maintain their arrogance and their personal deceits uh, like the bad thief. These are the temptations of the shepherd, right? Uh, The shepherd wants to please the sheep. 
This is one of the benefits, I think, of being a bivocational priest, right? You all could stop giving the tithe and start contributing to the church, and I could still feed my family, you know? makes it a little bit easier to preach. I can understand how some pastors, it becomes very difficult to to avoid that temptation of saying what the people want to hear so that uh, they'll come and be satisfied with the shepherd, right? Uh, Because I'm supposed to be speaking to the only audience member here at Jesus the Good Shepherd. Right? There's only one person in the audience this morning. That's God. Right? He's the one that we are all here to worship. He's the one that we're all here to serve. Right? And when we forget that, when we forget that we're here to, to proclaim the kingdom of God and that we're here to proclaim His truth about His kingdom, that's when we get off track. And the kingdom of God that Jeremiah talks about is a kingdom that's mostly about uh, the state of the heart. That's mostly about the state of the heart and its relationship to God. Jeremiah is saying that, that the promises that God made to his people from the very beginning will be maintained. They're going to be fulfilled. He made the promise to Abraham. It was fulfilled in David. He made the promise to David. It's fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, the days are coming. He's talking about the Messiah here. He's talking about Jesus. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That is Christ. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the righteous branch. And so again, the the integrity, the understanding of the kingdom of God and of this king is, is one of righteousness. It's not about the other aspects of the kingdoms of this world that people are allured by, uh, but about righteousness, right? This is what we know. He shall reign as king, he says, and he shall execute what? Justice and righteousness. There again, these are the standards of the kingdom of God that we're looking for, that we're looking for justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are the, the walls that hold up the temple of God. Right? Justice is when there's an equal balance, when we know that uh, we're going to get what we deserve. And that God is always uh, looking at what it is that we've done and what it is that we deserve. And that we understand the consequences of our actions. That actions will have consequences. And again, what the, the bad shepherds do is they say, oh, don't worry about those consequences. They won't really come. Do what you want. And righteousness then is the second wall. It's the wall that says, um, here is the standard. Here is what God is calling us to do. So we understand the consequences of our actions and we understand the uh, role that God wants us to play, the works that he would have us do. And so when we always keep in mind the consequences and then the rule of God, the righteousness, uh, we'll be uh, building that temple of our lives on that sure foundation. And then he says, finally, that it's the name of God that he's going to establish this on. And he says again that his name is righteousness, which we miss. We miss that. We miss that God is righteousness. He is all goodness. He is all holiness. And that this is the foundation of the church uh, that he is building his kingdom upon. St. Paul is telling us the same thing. He's talking to us about the kingdom of God, but he's talking about it a little bit differently. He's not telling us as much what the qualities of the kingdom of God are. He's telling us um, how we get there, right? And he's talking about how God takes us from the kingdom of, of earth, the kingdoms of this earth, and he transfers us, he moves us to the kingdom of God. 
So earlier in Colossians, at the beginning of this letter, he talks about how we perceive the will of God, right? He's talking about the the movement of faith. He says we perceive the will of God. Then once we perceive his will, we follow his will. Then once we're in his will, we begin to act in his ways. And then finally, he says we become strengthened by God's power. So once we've uh, discerned his will, once we've acted in his will, we begin to be strengthened by the power of God. And he says that it's God who has qualified us. Isn't that great? It's like in a race, you know. Uh, My kids were just at a swim meet, right? And what are you trying to do in a meet? You're trying to qualify, right? That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to qualify. We're trying to get into the main event, right? That's what we're all doing here, right? We're all here trying to qualify for the main event. We're running the race, right? We're looking at what's before us. We're looking at the race. We're looking at the distance that needs to be run. We've got to make a plan. We've got to know how do I need to prepare for this race and what are the tools I'm going to need and how am I going to train? And then our goal is to qualify for the main event, which is to come into the kingdom of God. What St. Paul is saying though, is that while we have to discern the will of God and we have to, to do that work that he's given us to do, he says, finally, it's God, the father who has qualified us. He's the one that qualifies us. So while we have to participate, while we're called to be active in this, finally it's him by his strength that qualifies us. And again, he calls it an inheritance. Nobody earns an inheritance, right? By its very definition, an inheritance is something uh, that is given to us, right? By our Father, by those that come before us. So we have an inheritance that's being given us uh, by God. And then finally he says he's delivering us. So these are three very important words. He qualifies us, right? He gives us an inheritance, and then he transfers us, right? Where does he transfer us from? From the domain of darkness, right? The kingdom of this world, and he transfers us to the kingdom of God, right? To the kingdom of light of his beloved son. And then once he does that, he reconciles us. So he takes us from the domain of darkness. He moves us into the kingdom of God. And then he says, let me see your, your books. Let me see your register. Let me see your checkbook. What do, you, what do you have? And then we've got to be able to say in humility, well, I've got some debts, right? If we're the bad thief, we say, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's all right. Not, not a big deal. No, debts? What debts? Me? Did you see those other people? But if we're in humility, if we're willing to confess our sins, then we say, oh boy, debts, do I ever. Here are my accounts. Here are my books. Here are the things that I owe. Here's the things that I have done wrong. And the promise is that if we acknowledge injustice, what we're deserving in those debts, then with enthusiasm we're able to say, I have them, would you remember me anyways? And God says that he will reconcile them. And that's exactly what he's doing on the cross. That's reconciliation. He's saying, what debts do you have? Give them to me. What debts do you have? Give them to me. This is what he's doing in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's praying for all those that will be in his name. He's saying, you give me yours and you give me yours. I'm going to take them all upon me. We read that the burden is so great that he sweats blood. And he carries all those debts, all those burdens with him upon the cross, and he takes them to exactly where they belong, to hell. To the trash heap. To the burning inferno. And that's where he leaves them. That's reconciliation. 
He says, give me all your debts, all that you owe, all that you confess. I'm going to take it and take it right where it belongs, to the trash heap. And that's where I'm going to leave it. And then I'm going to bring you up fresh and clean and to newness of life and to my kingdom. And so that's how he makes peace. That's how he makes peace. Isn't it great what Jesus promises that good thief? Today you'll be with me in paradise? What an interesting thing to say. It's not exactly what I would have expected him to say. And all the thief did was say, I'm guilty, remember me. I'm guilty, remember me. And Jesus promises who he'll be with and where they'll be. And this is all that we need to know. You will be with me. As St. Ambrose says, he is life. So to be anywhere with him is to be alive. So that's salvation. He is life. So to be anywhere with him is to be alive. And paradise, all the fathers agree, is the Garden of Eden. He's saying, we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. See, God didn't mess up. He put us where he wanted us to be. He says, I want to dwell with my people in paradise. I built this beautiful garden. I built these beautiful people. I call them good. And I want to dwell with them in this place. And then we go off and do all this noisy business, making all these mistakes and all this stuff. And he says, okay, I'll take all the mess you made. I'll take all that sin if you're willing to give it to me in repentance. I'll take it to the trash heap. And then I'm going to remember you in paradise. I'm going to take you back to the garden. That's where I want to hang out. He wants to hang out with us in the garden of Eden. Isn't that amazing? The enticements of Satan are fame, right? You'll be famous. The angels will know who you are, and if you stub your toe, they'll raise you up. That's written on the human heart, that desire for fame. The only place we can truly have it in God, because he's the only one who will never forget us. He knows exactly who we are, and he will never forget. The thief says, remember me, and Jesus says, I will. I'll always remember you. You'll always be with me. And we'll always be in paradise. We will always be with him in paradise.